everyone welcome into another episode of the mls bench podcast i am joey back with me today is andres and matt to talk about the second round of playoff action in mls it was another really really exciting weekend and i think to start it off we can go in chronological order once more as we did last week and because he is back off of a week-long hiatus andres how are you doing and thoughts on the philadelphia union's one no win versus fc cincinnati yeah, uh, afternoon, guys. Good to be back. It was a little weird last week to to watch games and then not have a forum to to basically give opinions on them. So it's uh, it's cool to talk to you guys again. Um, yeah, I thought you know I thought since he actually played pretty well, um, it was a mostly pretty even game in in, in my opinion. Although uh, you could see at the initial, you talk about this bye week rust sort of sort of. Uh, narrative that gets thrown around and i thought it was it was super clear last year where teams had like 20 days between games um not as bad this one uh but still you know since he's coming off a big win um at red bulls and comes in with good mojo philly has to kind of turn it on uh but they weathered it um got the the goal that from an unexpected source uh and then andre blake was was huge on what i thought was brandon vasquez you know best best chance there like 84 minutes in so all in all, I thought it was a, a pretty good performance from both teams. It wasn't lopsided. There, there was some other duds um, in other areas, uh, in other games. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, probably deservedly so it went to Philly. Uh, but I don't think Philly, um, Cincinnati should be too disappointed with the way they played. Uh, how did you see it? You're, you're a Union fan. What, what were your thoughts? Well... Anyone who listened to the podcast last week would know that I was stressing a little bit about this game. And we basically got the game that I was stressing about, right? Like, Philly was going to sit back, try and absorb Cincy's pressure. Did it decently well in the first half. Pretty chippy. Not much going on attacking-wise outside of a few. You know, Union had one or two chances off a set piece. But that was about it. The second half was way more open than I wanted it to be. Um, and... Andre Blake is the reason why the Union are still alive in the playoffs. Like, this is what we were talking about, Matt, uh, going back a couple weeks. Is like, if you have a great goalkeeper, he can single-handedly save you games. And in the playoffs, that's just massive because you're talking about a situation where if Andre Blake doesn't come up with saves that really only a few keepers in this league can make, and, and talk about Andre Blake making two or three of those kind of saves in just a span of 30 minutes, the Union are out of the playoffs at this point. But because he was able to make those saves and the Union do what they do and are able to find a goal somehow, they managed to win that game. But, you know, at the same time, that easily could have gone the other way. Um, and I think that's just as much a testament to Cincinnati and how they seem to know how to play against the Union. It's not surprising, right? They have the, you know, former Union front office manager, GM, and obviously Pat Noonan, former assistant as their coach. So they have insight into how the Union want to play and, and stuff like that. But since he just is always up for a good game against the Union, and I'm just grateful the Union were able to survive. Matt, what do you have on this game? Yeah, I, this was the match that uh, was, I think, probably the the um, lowest quality soccer is harsh, but this was a street fight, and it it shows in some of the numbers. You know, it's it's v- relatively low passing uh, accuracy, and then just very very back and forth. Um, but I'm I'm exactly there with you guys, like the big difference maker was Andre Blake 
putting on two saves that on on Cincinnati's biggest chances. Um, the yeah the the um, Vasquez shot and then Barial had one from basically the top of the box after Acosta laid it off. Uh, this was I think right before the end of the first half. Um, that there's just there's like four people in the league that could have made that save. Um, so I you know this was a good match. Uh, I was really really concerned when I saw the starting lineup without uh, Ali Bedoya. And Block came in and showed that he is 100% up for the challenge. Uh, obviously getting the goal off of just a, a ball kind of banging around in the box and kind of finds some space, puts it away, does what he has to do, and then is just, they're so defensively sound. Really, really good win for the Union. Um, you, you can see all the reasons that they're the number one seed. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Andres, what more do you have on this? Yeah, I think it, it, as Matt said, it's a good, it's a really good win for the union because if you asked me, you know, in a hypothetical situation, pick any team um, in MLS who'd be perfectly set up to to play against the union, you'd take Pat Noonan and Chris Albright, who know that team better than anybody else in the league um, on an opposing sideline. Cincinnati, who had already beat the union once and and drew them at 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 Subaru Park. Uh, coming off of a really good win after having to win on decision day against a union team that had come off of a of a little bit of a layoff and you know not as much to play for the last couple of weeks, I think it was set up in a way that it was a really tough game and the fact that they come out of it with a win without Ali Bedoya um, and now get a home game uh, a, a revenge match against NYCFC which we'll talk about later. I think it sets up really well for the union, and I thought, you know, getting past this hurdle uh, might have been their their biggest obstacle uh, throughout the playoffs. Maybe maybe MLS Cup, but I think this was a tough one, and I think it shows just how resilient and, and sound that team has become over the last three four years now. Yeah, I think for me it was it's just like this game was going to be so different than every other game the Union was going to play just because Cincinnati can directly match up with the Union in all the ways that we don't like, right? The Union plays Cincinnati tighter than they play a lot of teams of that kind of, you know, level. Like, we're talking about a, a lower playoff team, and the Union just always plays Cincinnati tighter, in this year specifically, than other teams. So I that was... It was scary for me coming in, obviously, just... Knowing that Cincinnati has guys like Lucho Acosta and Brandon Vasquez who are game breakers. And, you know, Vasquez, if Andre Blake is not a net and it's some other keeper who's not insane and not the goalkeeper of the year, might score a goal there. And that might be it for the Union. But, um, yeah, just it was outstanding stuff from Blake. Deserving, obviously, of the goalkeeper of the year. We, ha- we haven't really talked about that, but yeah, he is the goalkeeper of the year. The Union have the defender of the year, the goalkeeper of the year, and the coach of the year at this point. So, racking up the individual awards, and now on to the conference final. I, I think, you know, and we're going to get into the conference final at some point. Um, Andres, what do you think the Union could have done better in this game, uh, given the matchup that they had? Yeah, there was a there was a couple moments there where it seemed like they were a little slow, uh, you know, to play out to play out with possession. Um, a couple times where I thought they absorbed a little bit more than they needed to, maybe push a little push a little bit higher, especially uh, you know the first half. Um, but I think a lot of that comes from nerves. 
from being at home, from having a layoff. Um, so all in all, you know, I don't think anybody, I don't think any of us thought that this was going to be one of those six goal, seven goal union performances. Uh, they struggled a little bit to, to create chances. Uh, but I thought given, given what the matchup was, given what the stakes were, uh, it was, it was pretty good considering, you know, where they were coming from. I think I, I, that's something I really kind of wanted to touch on. Um, and it'll come up much more for one of the later games. Um, the first half was kind of frustrating for the Union, I think, that they could not put away a couple of the decent chances that they had. Uh, they were on just about 0.5 uh, expected goals in the first half, but they did not let that frustration really mire them down. And that's what I think that that you know is absolutely a credit to the coaching staff. That's credit to those players having the mental fortitude to go ahead and move beyond that and find that just little instance where you have a good uh, opening. Yeah, and you know we said unlikely source and Leon Flock doesn't score that many goals. It's not his job, but the Union, yeah, they could have been up one nil after the first half. They could have been up probably two nil. Uh, a couple of really big opportunities that you know you don't even get that often. Union are, you know, are are the Union's goals are not like beautiful goals ever. And there were a few chances in the first half that were just very straightforward goals that the Union didn't put away, and that made me think like, oh, oh no, like this is like. These are how the Union score. This is like the just run of play, kind of scrappier plays, maybe a header, and those weren't put away. And now, you know, as a fan, I'm starting to think, okay, you know, where is it necessarily going to come from? And it, it comes just you press in the box, ball is bouncing, get something on frame, and you score. Um, and I think what you were talking about, Matt, with not letting the, the, the Union not dropping their heads is in large part because of the Union scored a lot of goals this year, and because they had so much success attacking-wise this season that they didn't really have last season or haven't really had previous seasons, it, that definitely inspires confidence that, yeah, we can get a goal from wherever, whenever, because we've already done it this year. And if, that, if the Union didn't have that um, you know, kind of prolific goal-scoring record coming into this game, it is possible that the heads would have dropped. But because the Union know what they're capable of in scoring those goals— they didn't, and I think that's what made the difference. Is the Union just kept fighting for that goal? Andres, last word on this match. Yeah, we should give some credit to to Leof Locke for that finish. It wasn't super. It wasn't like a straightforward finish, especially for somebody that isn't on frame that often. Um, it was a, you know, if you if you get that from Carranza or from Ura, uh, or even from Gazdag, then you, you know you tip your cap and you say, all right, that's what they're that's what they're paid for. That's not what. Leon Flock's there to do normally, um, and it was you know outside of the foot, kind of on a half volley, uh, just a really good finish for for somebody that's not usually taking those type of chances. So all credit to him, and and uh, I think for the for the union and for for Leon Flock, that was a that was a cool moment. So yeah, that's, that that ball, no, yeah, that that bouncing ball, very easy to put ten rows deep, but he kept it on frame, got his leg over it. Yeah, you know, very very nice finish from. Kind of a, a defensive midfielder, really. Um, doesn't always happen, but put yourself in the right spot, and you can always you can always get a goal. And it came in a very big moment for the Union, who win one 0 versus Cincinnati. And because they are the number one seed in the East, no, before Sunday, we already knew that they would be hosting a playoff game. And so we can move to the second match on uh, Thursday, and this one was maybe the one that everyone was looking at in terms of uh, the, kind of the marketability of it. 
it was late, but it was LAFC in the Galaxy. El Trafico, for the second time in the short history of this rivalry, this game was played in the playoffs. And this one was a uh, this one was one to remember. Uh, teams exchanging goals. It was LAFC first, then the Galaxy, then LAFC again, then the Galaxy, and then in stoppage time, Chicho Arango, a player who there's been much talk about this season, but has kept his head down and has worked and has kept his place in the starting lineup, finishes a ball, kind of a, a scrappy, uh, you know, you know, corner that bounced back out to him right in front of the net. He scores on 90 plus three, and it is LAFC through to the conference final. Matt, I'll give you the first word on this one. Just initial thoughts on this match and the craziness of it all. Yeah, this absolutely electric. Like this, this rivalry is really developing into like a crown jewel of MLS. Um, obviously, you have the Portland Seattle rivalry too, but this is quickly becoming on another level. Um, to the on the field stuff. Denny Buanga had his best game in an LAFC shirt. The, uh, period. He was so, so incredibly good at finding his moment to go ahead. And uh, I think on the opening goal, he's able to um, just find the blind spot behind, I think it was Koulibaly. Um, and they track that, or he, he, they completely lose his run and able to slot away. Really, really well done. Uh, his second goal, I'm trying to remember... Uh, was a recycled ball coming in from back of Araujo. Right, right. Um, and again, just finding the right moments to step up. Uh, he's finally getting some of the development or the uh, the uh, final product that he's been missing for the the few months that he's been in in an LAFC shirt. Really, really big game for him. Um, and then. Unfortunately, the Galaxy just were not able to really find their flow. Uh, I don't think that they were able to get Puj on the ball as much as they would have liked, and w- which is credit to Acosta, Sanchez, and Cifuentes. If they were able to go ahead and really negate him, you can really negate a lot of what the Galaxy likes to do outside of Jovalich's absolutely banger of a goal. Yeah. No, I for what it's worth, that Jovalich goal was nice, but... Um... Yeah, Andres, I am interested in getting your thoughts on Buwanga. There's been much said. Hasn't quite come in the league in terms of the goals uh, that he was hoping for. But this game, it was just clear. He was on a level above and finished off two very nice goals, um, each of them putting LAFC ahead. Uh, and I, I think it is definitely a testament to um, when you get players of his you know, caliber in this part of their career, they're going to do really good things. Uh, were you impressed with him uh, on Thursday night? Yeah, and I was, I've been impressed with him kind of since he came in. Just the movement, the feet, the, the technicality. Uh, you know, there was a lot of numbers going around about how awful he's been in terms of goals to expected goals. But the fact is that he's been creating chances and getting in really good spots since he came in. It just was a matter of, of time to, to start finishing some of those. And now every now and then you get a player where they never end up finishing them or, or you know, it seems like it's never going to come a la Kevin Cabral, um, who's had chance after chance, gets in really good spots, but can't quite put him away. Um, you usually need a bigger sample size for that to play out. And, and it just seemed like eventually for Boanga, it come good. And we've seen it. We saw it on decision, not decision day, uh, when they played uh, Portland to clinch this uh, supporter shield. And now, here, here in this game. So I think it was a matter of time with him. He's shown he's got a ton of talent. He's clearly the starter 
um, on that side. Uh, and so, yeah, for sure, it's impressive. And you kind of saw it coming. You know, on the other side, there wasn't... So first of all, that was a red card for, for Ricky Puj. You know, any uh, regular season, middle of the season type game, and he's off the field. I understand trying to make the game 11 versus 11 uh, and not ruin it or, 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 you know, not take the spectacle away. I personally hate when red cards come out because it, it takes away from the flow of the game. Uh, but in terms of how those situations are usually handled, Ricky Puj should have been off the field after 12 minutes. Beyond that, um, you know, I thought the Galaxy were uh, okay, but probably a little lucky to be 2-2 at that point. I think Jovic needs to needs to have them playing, and I think going forward you need to figure out how to keep him on the field. Uh, whether that's with Chicharito or not, uh, he's shown that he's a player that probably should be, you know, at least getting 60-70 minutes um, and not being just used as as a second half, 20 minute super sub. Um, and, and from LAFC's side, I thought much better in terms of how they were progressing the ball. They create so many chances. The expected goals were through the roof. Uh, and, and you saw it with, with Chicho's last, uh, last little gasp there, but it's because they were all the time in the box. So I think well-deserved, um, probably uh, not probably weren't needing to be in that position they got themselves into, uh, but they came through it. Yeah. That, the, Chicho is actually who I wanted to kind of touch on next. So I'm, that's a, a great transition. Um, it's really, really weird that they were trying to shop him around the league earlier in the season, isn't it? Like, he is so good at finding great moments to show up. Uh, this, his goal in stoppage time, I think it's primarily due to the fact that the galaxy started to kind of lose some composure and they, they didn't have any defenders in about basically within six feet of goal outside of one person on the goal line to keep everybody on side. It it's just really, really poor defending. And then a player who is absolutely a game changer. There's been plenty of ink spilt about, uh, Arango being in on the MVP, uh, candidate list, but, you can kind of see the reason because he's consistently an absolute menace to play against his, his um, pressure again, uh, going up against both the center backs was incredible on the night. And then just really, really good conversion on his chances. I, I still am shocked that he was being chopped around. It's absolutely incredible to me. Yeah, whenever we talk about him, that's like the first thing I think of. And I'm always like, come on now. Like, come on. We know how good he is. He's shown it time and again. That It's just incredible to me that they were shopping around. But, you know, moving past that, I think it is crucial to think about in terms of, um, in, in terms of the, the Galaxy in this one. is like They really dominated the first 20 minutes. They were the team in front. They looked like the team that was in form, had just come off a nice win, and was playing a team in LAFC that would just sat on ice for a week. And then the Buwanga goal, the first one, goes in, and then it starts to become a more even game, more back and forth, and LAFC starts to get those chances that they can just pounce on. And in all fairness to Buwanga, just to wrap up our discussion on him specifically, it looks like he is just a menace to play against because 
everyone seems to lose him. His goal versus Portland was someone, uh, I think it might have been Van Rankin or whoever was on the right side for Portland, lost him off their back shoulder. He did it once against Araujo specifically in this game. That was a picture, you know, it was the same picture where he's, he's just lurking, sees the ball come across, and just, you know, makes that diagonal run off the back shoulder. That is a right back or left back's nightmare to play against. Like, those are the runs that destroy defenses, and he seems to feast off of them. So uh, that is something to be really, um, really worried about if you are, uh, if you're Austin this coming weekend, because that's just, that is a tried and true way to lose a game, losing that run. But, you know, overall, I think the Galaxy were really good, and then they started to slip just a little bit, and it did culminate in that last goal where that is, that's just basic stepping. Either you all step or no one steps, and some of them went and some of them didn't go, which left Arango onside and completely unmarked three feet from goal, or three yards from goal, and that was an easy finish. One of the easier goals he's going to have all year, and it just so happened that it was in stoppage time of a playoff match. Andres, what more do you have on this one? I think we, we were talking about the front office shopping Arango, and I think they, they maybe dodged a bullet in terms of maybe not being able to get the offer that they were looking for. I think it's clear, and LAFC is good enough that they've been able to withstand it, but I think it's clear that they made themselves worse uh, throughout the course of the season uh, by by a, uh, a variety of ways. You know, it's Gareth Bale seems like he's not going to figure very prominently in this playoff run, if at all. Uh, Chiellini was always a strange signing for me, considering the amount of center backs that they had and the age. Uh, they had to, due to that loan out, Mabadou fall. Uh, it seems like Eddie Segura and, and Mario, I think it would be really nice to have fall as another option there because they're up and down a little bit. Uh, you know, in general, it seemed like I totally respect the wanting to go for it and push the pedal and not settle. Uh, but they were clearly the best team in the league at the point, and they you know, kind of tinkered with something. And it seems pretty clear that they're worse off now. Uh, they just happen to be good enough to, to withstand it. And now that Boanga's settled in, it seems like the one move that they made uh, that, that really worked out. But I think they were reasonably close to getting rid of, of Arango midseason, and it would have been uh, maybe too much to withstand. So they may have dodged a bullet there. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm kind of interested. Uh, do you guys happen to remember how LAFC stylistically played earlier on in the season? I'm trying to remember if there's been a change because looking at you know all the possession and just how the team was kind of set up in this match, they are a brutal counterattacking team now. Do you guys happen to remember if they were just trying to ping balls around or were they always have they always been like this? From what I can remember, they've they've always been a win the ball, uh, you know, in the middle of the field or or you know in that attacking third and try to go quickly, try to go direct. And if they can't, then they have the abilities to kind of stand on the ball, move it around, and create chances. Uh, at least that was the Bob Bradley type of style. Uh, they were pretty pretty high press, but still wanted to play with the ball. They seem to be a little bit more sit and counter quickly now um, rather than press quickly. Uh, and you can see that Galaxy had more than 60% of the ball, uh, but LAFC had by far the better chances. Yeah, I was just trying to remember because, yeah, that's what makes Arango so perfect for the system, just because of 
how good he is at pressing. It, it's just, I was concerned with the amount of attacking talent they were bringing in. This is actually a much more balanced team than I remember, than I was imagining. Yeah, no, 100%. Sorry, Matt, I cut you off, but no, I think that's potentially one of the issues with maybe what's been happening. I don't watch LAFC tactically that much. It's just not something I do, unfortunately. But Arango's pressing is dynamite. Vela doesn't really press. And so you, sometimes you can have that kind of imbalance, right? It's a coach's number one thing. Either everyone has to go or no one can go because then it creates gaps and it's easy to play out. And I feel like LAFC had just started to slip in, in some of those basic things that they were doing that then they just weren't doing it, you know, later in the year. I don't know Buanga's pressing abilities and if he goes or doesn't go, but I, I think with Arango's pressing, that is something that can be utilized. You just have to make sure that everyone is on the same page. And to be fair, in this game, seeing the way that the attack was functioning for LAFC going forward, the quickness in which they were doing it, and obviously those back post runs, um, I, I was scared for any team that has to play them because I'm like, this is the attack that's really scary. This is the attack that we've been waiting to see um, that we thought we might get with Bale. We haven't really. And it was it's Buwanga right now that that's causing havoc um, in and around the box. Arango is just a menace. Vera can always pick out a ball. He has never lost that ability. I'm a little bit scared for opponents now because that attack seems to be clicking a little bit better now. And if that's the case, then yeah, this is still a really dangerous team because you know they are two wins away from an MLS Cup, and with the midfield that they have and the attack that they have, they can score some goals. Uh, very easily, and they did in this game as well. I am interested, Andres, in getting your thoughts on Ricky Pooge, because I feel like this was the first game, maybe that I've seen him play, maybe that he has played in MLS, that he wasn't the standout player, didn't have a ridiculous game, and this is the game that knocks knocks the Galaxy out of playoff contention. Yeah, I think it was unfortunate. I think he saw early on kind of, you know, okay, Murillo baits him into that reaction a little bit, uh, but he, you you could kind of see where the emotions were, loses his head a little bit, and then the performance was, eh, it was okay. Uh, but overall, I think not just Pooj, although he's been fantastic uh, for, for the last couple of weeks going in, but also from Chicharito is an okay performance. Uh, just kind of maybe maybe not what you were hoping for you would have expected or you would have wanted a big step up uh but i think he's 23 if the galaxy keep him which i would assume they're going to keep him at least through the next year this will be maybe the next time and and it's funny if that i'm saying this for somebody that's coming from barcelona but maybe the next time that moment will will not seem as big um as as it appeared to be in this match yeah, a few times where he just seemed to be getting frustrated, I think I noticed. Did you notice the same thing, Andres? Yeah, and it all started off early. You know, he went down right, right. on that penalty shout, and emotions get high. I got lucky to not be sent off. And it's hard, to, it's hard to keep calm and keep your head from that, and especially if you're on the younger end of the spectrum, haven't played a ton of huge games. I, I know there's pressure, obviously, that comes from coming from Barcelona, but... How many times has Ricky Pooj been in a situation where he is the go-to guy in a must-win game against the team's rival? You know, it hasn't really happened that often. So uh, 
I agree. Yeah, he was probably getting a little frustrated. I think he started off early and just kind of tough to, to recover from. Yeah, and we talk about the pressure of MLS versus the pressure of Europe. Like, let's let's be true. Like, this is not Classico. This is not anything like that. But at the same time, you know, you are playing a team whose front line has or can definitely be in Europe. Like Buwanga just came from Ligue 1. Vela's played at some of the you know the top leagues, top levels in Europe. Arango is at that level where I think he could slot into a European team. Uh, and the midfield similarly is kind of at that level so even though like it's it's still mls he's not playing against players that are really off the european level you know what i mean so a at least at a um just the soccering aspect of it yeah he played a really good team this might be the best team that he's played and that's going to happen but matt uh you can kind of wrap up our thoughts on this game and thoughts on uh, pooge in particular yeah it pooge is now in a league where teams will have to plan specifically for him. Previously, you know, you could have some players and really kind of, you know, determine if you are not giving him the space, he's not going to run. He's now, this is the focal point. He brings so much of that fluidity, so much of that mobility to the galaxy midfield that you basically just need to really lock him down because that's where Chicharito gets his service. Uh, Douglas Costa, you know, for as good as a player as he's been, has been a little bit wasteful in his time in the MLS. So I think that that's going to be a really interesting challenge for Puj in the coming season or however long the Galaxy are going to be able to keep him because I, I don't think that it's going to be too terribly long considering how good he has been at this level. I think, you know, a, a mid-table or mid-table t- team in Spain could absolutely snap him up, but there, you know, that that's personal and financial decisions beyond anything I can yeah. understand. This is a this is going to be a good team regardless. This was an awesome match, uh, LAFC rightful winners. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think you know the key thing is financial decision. Um, like it, you make a lot more money in MLS than you do in other places. That's just the facts. But, you know, at the same time, I, I think with, with him, he's just such a good player that anywhere that he goes in this league, any team that he plays, he will be the best player on the field. And even if that means that he can't succeed with crazy numbers, everyone will know that he is the reason that the Galaxy will win. Because if you have to put two or three on him, or you have to adjust your entire game plan to Pooj, someone is going to be open. If that someone's Chicharito, Jovalich, Grancier, who scored as well, um, you, that that's still really dangerous. And that's you know why you get a player of his stature. It was a great signing for the Galaxy, um, and one that probably propelled them to this point. Couldn't uh, get it done on Thursday night at Bank of California Stadium. LAFC wins 3-2 to two over the Galaxy, and that is all for the Trafico this year as LAFC will advance and host the Western Conference Final. Now we can move to Sunday, our third match chronologically, and it was Montreal hosting NYCFC, the game that we all thought would just be on a razor's edge, the tightest game, the one that we were all looking forward to probably the most if you were in MLS crazy, and it kind of delivered, honestly. 3-1 to NYCFC on the road. It didn't look that way in the first half, 
But I, I do believe I saw the stat that uh, since they've been in the league, I believe they came in the league at the same time. NYCFC has never lost at Montreal, the Impact, whatever you have, uh, whatever their team name was. They've never lost up north. And that streak continued in the playoffs. 3-1, Matt, I am interested in getting your takes on this game because we talked about it last week. It was going to be really interesting. NYCFC struck early. Montreal basically controlled the rest of the first half. And then when NYCFC added a second just on the stroke of halftime, it was, you know, basically smooth sailing there for the uh, the reigning champions. Yeah, this match ruled. I, I absolutely adored watching this match. Uh, uh Statsfudo was electric, which all, it, you know, credit to every team that made this stage of the playoffs. It's been a really, really good uh, viewing experience. So that's been exceptional. To the on-the-field stuff, this was fascinating to me. Um, really, what NYCFC did so, so well is, number one, they absolutely frustrated the living hell out of Montreal. And that really comes down to Sean Johnson having two or three incredible saves in the first half hour or so. Um, and, you know... New York City, obviously, in the sixth minute, they strike through uh, Maxi Morales. Uh, it's, I believe, Santi Rodriguez makes a really, really good run. Um, ends up kind of freezing up Kamal Miller. He's able to pull back to Maxi, basically coming running in from midfield right on the spot. Bing, bang, boom. Easy lead. But then it really, the momentum went to Montreal. And they were very, very electric in attack. Uh, Alistair Johnson... Johnston, excuse me, had incredible services into Kamara, into Kone. Um, the fact that they did not score is incredible. Uh, and it, it really gave Montreal that feeling of, oh no, it's going to be one of those days. And that really, that put their heads down. That's where I'm, what I was, uh, wanted to bring up um, the, it, that in the Philadelphia match. This is a team that unfortunately just really got frustrated. And then they started sending numbers forward. Specifically, their center backs started to carry the ball forward in, in, into midfield. And NYCFC took advantage of that so, so well. They, I, I believe, again, it's either Pereira or uh, Rodriguez finds Eber after Kamal Miller takes the ball into midfield. And they just can strike on the break so incredibly well. I was concerned when Maxi Morales came off because he's so good at initiating some of those counterattacks, but they were able to pull it off. Um, I, I'm sad to see Montreal go, but this was a really, really fun match. This was my favorite match of the playoffs. Oh, I mean, Mon er, Montreal played well enough to be up multiple goals in the first half, and then NYCFC is just so, so good on the attack. They have clearly found the solution to the problems that were ailing them midway through the season. Their, you know, counterattacks, their quick strikes with Santi Rodriguez, Eber looks to be playing really well in that mix. They just look so dangerous. I am incredibly scared for the Union to have to play them or any team because we said all season, if NYCFC is able to find some of that magic in their attacking third specifically, they were going to click and click they did in this match because, boy, that first goal was champagne. I, I mean, everything had to be perfect, and it was. And it was an easy goal in the end. 
uh, for Maxi, and, and then the second goal was just so deadly. And then the last one, obviously, via the um, the penalty brought down, and then the Magno buries it after subbing on. But boy, they look a dangerous team. And Montreal, credit to them, played well attacking-wise. If Sean Johnson didn't have probably his game of the season, one of the games of his career probably, uh, Montreal might be advancing here. But NYCFC in the attacking third played more than well enough to win this game, and that's why they're going forward. Andres, uh, what do you have in this match? And just, I mean, maybe you can start with the heroics of Sean Johnson because he was incredible. Yep, and, and we've seen it with him before. And it's he has he has a level that not that many keepers have. It's he's shown it in the playoffs previously. It's what's kept him in the national team running, and and he's at this point I think pretty cemented um, in that top tier of MLS goalkeepers. Not just now, but over the past decade or so. Uh, what do I have on this match in general? You know, NYC. One of the things that they've changed. Um, that's gotten them back on track is they've changed just um, systems here the last uh, you know what month or two uh, they went to a three in the back or five in the back uh, system with with Martins Collins uh, and Cheneau, uh playing as three center backs and then the two wing backs um, usually being Tavon Gray or, or on the right and Kevin O'Toole and um, Anton Tenerholm's back and playing well which I think is a huge a huge thing for, for NYC. But part of why Montreal, or part of when Montreal got that momentum and saw all those chances uh, was when Collins um, had to, not Collins, when Cheneau had to come out and they had to switch back to the four back, four in the back system, uh, brought Keaton Parks in. And it seemed like it took them, you know, 25, 30 minutes to kind of figure out what they were doing because they haven't been playing it for a while. And that's when Montreal just had that chance after chance after chance. Um, but then the other thing with NYC is, their their best players uh, have a capacity to reach a level that pretty much no other team has. Those, those front guys, um, that talent level, uh, they can put away chances that other teams can't, uh, even if they're not generating that many of them. Uh, and that's what you saw with with the Abair chance, uh, with Maxi and Santi Rodriguez creating those those incredible champagne type football like you guys said they did it against miami uh one of their goals was just like a 27 uh pass buildup that led to a, another one of these i think it was maxi's goal um so nyc even if they're not playing particularly well which they didn't for the stretches of the first half after the goal between goal one and goal two uh they could just turn it on and they can kill you um in an instant which is what we've seen from them before and unfortunately for montreal uh they can't cash in when they were on the front foot and then and YC comes back the other way and, and puts them to bed. I thought the second half was, uh, you know, pretty much a done deal. Not There wasn't a whole lot of thinking that Montreal was going to come back, especially after the third one. It was, yeah, this game just kind of flew by because there were just chance after chance after chance. I uh, Looking through some of the stats here, um, number one, Sean John, one goal on 2.74 expected goals on target is incredible. Uh, and the, uh, the other stat that I was really interested in, 1.74 expected goals in the second half for Montreal, but they just stood them up so, so well. And I think a big part of that needs to be said the, now we're seeing again that NYCFC is so incredibly deep. 
that even with having lost Tati at, at midseason, they're still bringing Keaton Parks, Talis Magno, and Matias P- Pellegrini off the bench. That's just a different level of of player of um, ability that you're able to go ahead and then bring in on tired players. Uh, it they're gonna be so so tough uh, for Philadelphia, especially if they are uh, gonna be really good at pulling players out of the back. That's gonna be a really important. Uh, note that Philadelphia needs to get right in order to beat them. Yeah, and we're getting to that game, but, I mean, they're going to be dangerous for, whether it be Philadelphia or any team, just because they're that level of good. You mentioned bringing those players off the bench is a level that Philadelphia cannot achieve because the Philadelphia doesn't spend money. And YCFC isn't even a massive spender, but, you know, most teams in the league can't scout like NYCFC. And they don't bring in the players that NYCFC can at such a young age where, you know, you bring them in for basically nothing. You can flip them for a lot more. And it not only does it help the team in the short run, it also makes money. It's a repeatable process. And that's why they're so good. And that's why they're able to bring guys off the bench and, you know, rotate guys in. That Like Keaton Parks was a sub. Keaton Parks is like on the edge of kind of contention for, you know, the U.S. roster when it's like a U.S.-based MLS roster, he's on the he's in the contention for that kind of thing. He wasn't starting because they have they can play a system that allows players that are on that level or better to play in over him. Like that's insane. No, no other team in the league, I don't think, could do that. And that's why we said it's just a matter of time. Unfortunately for Union fans, they found their form. Um, and they they found it clearly, and how they want to play versus Montreal. Um, I am interested, just as we you know finish up this game, I, I do want to touch on Montreal one more time, Andres. I, I guess what... Is there anything they could have done better in the first half besides just finish their chances? Because Matt said that they started to get frustrated. Did you see that um, in this game? And if so... Do you know? Do you think you could? They could have done anything different, or do you think it just so happens that when you know you have those crazy bounces like the uh, the the near Thiago Martin's own goal, and it doesn't go in, it just it's not their day. Uh, I I need to look back as to what led up to the build up of the first goal, um, because obviously conceding in the first five minutes, you, you know you can do better than that. But outside of that, in terms of chance creation, no, they 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 did everything they needed to do in terms of getting the chances and they need they needed to finish them because they could have been it could have been 2-1 going into half or 3-1 and then the game state changes completely uh, because you're still chasing that goal then you lead yourself open to that to that second goal because it, like I said okay the first one we need to see what happened there but if you get one of those to go in and you're you're 1-1 going into the half or you're 2-1 going into the half leading you're probably not so far up the field that you give up that counter to Aber to to go into the half, and once that second one goes in, I think you know it's lights out. Um, but yeah, finishing finishing those chances would have changed the game totally. It would have changed the whole game state, and it would have changed uh, the approach that they would have taken to the second half. Yeah, on that first goal, I think if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they're able to turn the ball over about thirty yards into the uh, Montreal half uh, or into the uh, their defensive half. Excuse me. Um, and then it's a pretty simple ball into uh, Rodriguez, who uh, Pereira comes on his outside. So they have uh, numbers going up against 
Miller Lapalainen had been pretty high up in the attack. And so as they're going back, um, they are able to just go ahead and uh, ping a ball. This is basically now about a 10 yards um, from the Montreal end line. Um, and uh, then it's really, Ebert comes over to give additional numbers, really, really freezes up Miller. And uh, at that point, uh, it's a ball into Ebert, who pings it right behind. Uh, Rodriguez picks it up, pulls it back to the spot where Maxi's coming in, making that deep-lying run. That's what, like, the second that they turn the ball over in midfield, they are all running downhill. And it's just, it's a really, really fun team to watch when they're doing that. Yeah, that goal was scary because you had exactly right, Matt. It came just directly from a turnover. They they forced high press turnover, hit a um, hit a man who just laid off, gets to the end line, gets a good ball in. Eber, credit to him, crashes hard at the near post, and that you know that drags the defender, drags the keeper as well. Maxi just at this point is at the six, and it's a tap in. Um, and it's those kind of those runs, the one-touch soccer that they have the ability to do kind of at will, and that's what that's what was really scary for me to see, is that they, they can do that versus any team. That is a, a repeatable goal, and with the players that they have, that just makes it that much more scary. So that's about all she wrote for this game. Final score, 3-1 at the Stad Saputo. By the way, Georgie did grab one back in, in the 80-something minute, but at that point... It was too late. Montreal wasn't able to get another one, and it finishes 3-1 to the away side. The only away side, by the way, to win in this round of the playoffs. Uh, there was one away side, I believe, last week that won. One away side this week that won. Regular season matters, folks, because that gives you home field advantage. And as we've seen these, this playoff, that home field advantage basically holds up every single time, um, bar this game and one other in the first round. So yeah, that's uh, our um, you know public service announcement of the week. Win your home games, and and if you uh, win enough home games, and you get to the playoffs and you have home games, you're gonna be in good shape. Uh, but last match of the week we can talk about is Austin and Dallas, a Texas derby. Uh, we had a, basically a derby a day um, in the second round, and that was a lot of fun. Austin wins this one two to one, and Matt. As we've talked about forever, I'm going to bring you up every time we talk about this. It was the game breakers that made the difference. And Austin has won in Sebastian Driussi. His goal to um, put Austin up 2-0 was a work of individual art. And Matt, I'll start with you. That's really the difference in this game. It ended up being the game-winning goal. What do you have on Austin and specifically their talisman, Sebastian Driussi? He's just impossible to defend one-on-one. He's basically just makes like a 30 yard diagonal run with the ball. And then there's just not enough pressure. So he's able to really set up some time to put that ball past uh, Martin Pass. Um, I wanted to note, though, this is one of the first times that we've really gotten some production out of their striker in one of these match or in one of these high pressure matches. Uh, Jite found a really, really just good spot to pop up on a corner. Set pieces are really, really uh, important in, especially in playoff games like this. We we see that at the World Cup all the time. We see that in a lot of of one and done soccer. Like 
you just have to take advantage of those opportunities. And then the second that Austin had that first goal, which admittedly it's for all of three minutes that they don't have the second, but they just forced Dallas to really come out of that shape. And I, Dallas just does not do it for me because they still just do not have quite the cutting edge, despite how much production they've gotten through uh, Jesus Ferreira. I just, I, they need another person who can actually be the connective tissue all the way through. And I just, after uh, Austin went 2-0 up, I just never saw more than one goal coming from Dallas. The issue, I think, if we're going to go big picture on Dallas, and I want to focus on this game specifically, but I think the big picture on Dallas is like, you have midfielders that are good at the traditional midfield things, you have attackers that are good at the traditional attacking things, and you have Jesus Ferreira, who is a a good goal scorer in this league. You know, people talk about his goals, minus expected goals, but he was actually... You know, he was overperforming his XG quite a bit this season. Um, scored a bunch, assisted in the ways that we know he can, dropping in and combining and finding those balls that you know created goals for you know other players, namely Ariel and Velasco. But like you have wingers that are more traditional wingers. Velasco hit a couple nice goals, and Ariola will get a couple, but they're not ma- They're not like massive goal scorers from the wings. They are more traditional in that sense, and you have. You know, Ferreira, who kind of freelances there in the midfield and, and will also will make those runs in the box. But you don't really have like some, you don't really have that tried and true will always be in the box goal scorer. And because you don't have that, you know, the games like this can be weird because you don't have someone to just bomb it up to and try and create attacking chances off of him. And that really hurt because in the first half they were getting shelled by Austin, and there's a reason why they were down two 0 And then they started playing better in the second half. Fair play to them, but they didn't have any answer in the first half, and ultimately that's the reason why they lost. They didn't have a Musa Gite, um to partner with Jesus up top. Andres, thoughts on this game specifically, and really Austin dominating the first half, and that was enough. Yeah, they they do have a Musa Gite. Uh, they just don't start him, and and he hasn't played very well. And I think it was it was evident in that Dallas was much better after Hara came on. So Franco Hara would be their quote unquote traditional uh, number nine target man, uh, front of goal type of type of player. And, and Ferreira not really that type of player. Um, and I think you're right. I think they needed that sort of player in this game. Um, and going forward on Dallas, we you know we can cover it during the offseason but they i think they really need to investigate and look at how they want to play going forward to best utilize jesus ferreira uh because yes he scored a bunch of goals this season uh but i don't think this system is particularly what works best for him uh because he's not a target man he's not a lone number nine that's doesn't seem to be his his best position and he keeps coming back and coming back to try to find himself in the game um and yeah i thought dallas outside of of that, I thought they were also pretty flat coming in. Um, I, you hear that Austin was was the better team here, um, especially in the first half. I thought Austin was not very good against RSL and made some requisite changes, namely uh, bringing Pereira back into the midfield. Um, changing Rudy out for for Gite was an interesting move, um, and they they came out flying and were were much better, uh, significantly better uh, through the first 30 minutes and, and had two goals uh, to show for it. Uh, and I think Matt's 
completely correct. I never thought it never seemed and it never felt like Dallas was gonna was gonna come back. I actually thought it was gonna end to nothing. I was a little surprised that they got the first goal off of a knockdown from from Hara uh, to Velasco. Uh, but I never really felt that they were coming back, even though they had 30 minutes uh, to get that second. It just didn't feel like they were creating enough. And on the on the flip side, it, it felt like Austin was closer to the third than, and then Dallas was to the second one. So credit to Austin here. They, they had a really good bounce back performance after I thought not a great one. Uh, did enough to survive in the first round. Uh, this was a good one, and they needed it to to get some momentum going into into LAFC. Yeah, I I just want to um, also just kind of wrap up a little bit of the broader picture for Dallas on this, because um, in this match, I think that everything that we talked about has been the case. You know, there's there's a they are at a talent disadvantage against that Austin team, and then um, that that necessarily means that your margin for error is a lot smaller. And Velasco had a pretty bad touch that led to the second, uh, yeah, the the Driussi goal. And then there's just, again, you don't have those difference makers. Um, but I think that it's just going, I think that Dallas is here a year earlier than they thought they would be because they're going to get some additional development out of Velasco. He's a young player. He's going to be very, very good in this league. They're going to get another year of development out of Ferreira. They need to go ahead and find the players to support that. Quinon is a solid MLS midfielder. They need to find somebody who can really, really ratchet up the pressure in that midfield and get the player or get those players the ball where they actually need it. They cannot have Ferreira dropping so, so, so deep in order to just pick up the ball. Um, and then, yeah. I really hope that they can also deliver a little bit more width through their fullbacks. I, I like Marco Farfan, uh, and I like Tomasi, but they need to get a little bit more quality out of those players. I think right back, you know, they they brought in Nanu um, to to solidify that after they've sold Cannon and Reynolds, um, and he couldn't beat out Tomasi, it seems like. Um, and in terms of fluidity through the midfield, while not a defensive midfielder, I think that's what you're hoping for from Pomacall. So I think this year, one, I, I agree completely. If you had told Dallas fans at the beginning of the season that they'd be uh, going for a conference you know, semifinal as, after being a number three seed, they would have taken that for sure. I think just playoff contention was already a success. The fact that they got in clearly had a home game, got to the second round. I think at that point they were, they were on house money. Uh, but from Pomacall, I think this year was a year to show he could stay healthy and he could play solid minutes again. I think next year you're looking for him to to take that step back up to the potential that he was showing before all the injuries. So I think that could help. I agree, defensive mid um, would help, and then especially right back for me uh, because they were at their best when Brian Reynolds was getting forward and when Reggie Cannon was there, and they haven't really quite gotten back to that yet. I think for me, and when you talk about Dallas midfield, and um, I think, yeah, they're going to have to do some stuff in the midfield if they want to keep Ferreira. I think partnering him with Hara is all right. I think then you start you have to take off Velasco or Areola and you start to limit chance creation. A lot of things can change, and a lot of things probably need to change for this thing to be at a level that is comparable with Austin or a team you know like LAFC or Philly, some of the best in the league. I think that they can do it with a few swaps. I think 
Ferreira is at that level. I think Velasco will get better, and he already produced a few moments this season. That's like, okay, this player is capable of playing at the highest levels of MLS. I think with the midfielders, like, none of the players, they have, like, five players in there that can easily start. None of them are bad. Maybe six, more like, um, that they have started in decent number this year. The problem is, like, you just can't have six or seven midfielders. So even though they're not, none of them are bad, you're going to have to move out a few players if you're looking to splash in the midfield in the offseason. Because I do think they need one. And even Pomichol on his own is, is a good player. But if you can get someone like a 10 who's more of a ball progressor, who can start to create those chances from the midfield and allow Ferreira then, instead of having to drop back every time, to run off, then you can start to create something. But I think if you're not able to do that, then yeah, you're going to continue to limit your attack one way or another. But you know, as it pertains to this game specifically, there was nothing in the first half, and that was a problem. Then they started to get a few chances back in the second half and got the goal—a nice goal by Velasco after a good sequence. But you know, you, you need more of that, and there wasn't enough of that in the first half. They didn't have a bailout option, and Austin, in fairness to them, always has one, and that is Sebastian Driussi. I think for Austin, it was definitely good enough in this game, specifically in the first half. And I think, um, you know, you, we talk about, uh, and I think something that um, I heard on the broadcast, it said Josh Wolf in a uh, interview uh, with, I think, Champion and Twelman was like, yeah, the one place that we have a distinct advantage is set pieces. And you could see that. The way that they came out on corners, winning most of those balls, creating opportunities. Um, yeah, they they were a level above on set pieces, which can scare a team like LAFC, who has conceded on set pieces as well. Um, but yeah, I think that was the real difference in this game, is Austin came out from the jump flying, Dallas didn't, and when you get up, uh, in Austin's case, 2-0, and for Dallas, when you get down 2-0 to a team like Austin, it's going to be really easy for Austin just to sit on that because they are good enough, um, and now they are through to a uh, Western Conference final because of it. Uh, Andres, final word on this game, and if not, we can move on to our game previews of the Conference Finals. I'm good to move on. Let's get, let's get to it. Okay, sounds good. And uh, we will start with what is going to be the first game of the day this coming Sunday, 3 p.m. on the East. It is LAFC hosting Austin, a one-versus-two matchup. Remember last year, uh, both number one seeds were eliminated uh, in their first game uh, in the quarterfinals. That is not the case this time. Both teams made it through, and so LAFC will host Austin in a game that LAFC's won most, or won against most of the teams that they play this year. In fact, they haven't beat Austin this year. Austin won 2-1 at the bank uh, on May 18th, and then we all remember the game on August 26th, where Austin hosted LAFC and won whopping four goals to one. That was a crazy game, and we remember that kind of being his Austin standout moment of the regular season. Andres, I will start with you. Thoughts on this game? What can we see from a, a game that, you know, even though LAFC's been, they won the Supporters' Shield, the best team in the league over the course of the regular season, they couldn't crack Austin's code. Yeah, and I'm I'm just glad that we're uh, not a big enough podcast that Austin's gonna be uh, putting out our our predictions on on their Twitter feeds and and getting us trolled because um, I've consistently picked against them. They've consistently proved me wrong, um, and I think here what we're looking for, I think, is if you look back to that four-one game, uh, which is the more recent game, 
that game, LAFC was super sloppy with the ball. I mean, they were they just could not connect a pass uh, throughout for most of that first half. Um, and by the time that they settled down a little bit, they were down four nothing. So I think if you look for LAFC to be a lot more uh, solid in possession uh, than they were in that game, I think LAFC now has uh, have settled on a Vela, Arango, Buanga front line. Um, and I think uh, what we'll see is an LAFC that's ready to go and, and should be a lot sharper than they have been previously against Austin. Now that said, uh, you know, Driossi is a, a game changer and if they can frustrate LAFC a little bit and get them to turn the ball over, uh, then uh, you know, Austin can hurt them coming back the other way. Uh, let's see who they start. If they go with a Rudy or if they go back with, with Gite, uh, they're completely different players. I think maybe Rudy is more suited to this game because I think he presses a little bit more. Um, and I, I think they'll look to turn LAFC over. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what Josh Wolf goes for. Uh, are we doing predictions now or do you want to leave that for, for the, end of the, uh, the end of the pod? Um. Let's leave it till the end. Let's okay. Build up the suspense. Matt, what do you have on uh, this game? I am really interested to see what LAFC does to really mitigate Driussi's threat. And my, you know, my my uh, very specific prediction for Total Soccer Show fans, uh, I really think that Acosta is going to have to be pretty big in this match because I think that it, it's going to be his job to really try to deny service to Driussi when Austin is in possession. I think that you're going to see a lot of, not man-marking, but being very, very aware of where Drewsy is. I think that's going to be really, really big. Um, and then I'm really excited to see what uh, Diego Fagundes can do when Ryan Hollingshead gets forward into space. Ryan, Hall- Ryan Hollingshead has been an attacking presence in this league from that right, or well, generally it was from left back when he was with uh, Dallas, if I remember right. Uh, but he's been really, really solid for LAFC over on the right. I think that that could be a really, really good, or a really, really good chance for Fagundes to get into those spaces and then pick his head up, try to find uh, Driussi, or try to find uh, one of the deep-lying runs out of midfield. Yeah. Yeah, this game is going to be, you know, can you contain Driussi or not? And I think, like you mentioned, uh, Acosta is going to have a big role. Sanchez is going to have a big role. Driussi's, you know, he does some good stuff in the 18. Most of it's in and around the 18, where maybe you can say that's defender. But yeah, I could even say that's midfield, um, a midfield responsibility for the defense to pick him up in around the 18. But you saw how he scored at the weekend. A lot of the stuff that he does that will break down opponents that isn't just like, okay, he has some quality, but you know, this, this guy is a level above, is he pressing picking up the ball 35 yards out, driving out of defense. He took it all the way um, versus Dallas. He can pass as well. Uh, you know, he can do those things. But a lot of it comes when he has time and space and can drive at defenses and make them make difficult decisions. And with a player of his quality, you know, sometimes there isn't a right decision. Can you limit that is going to be the question. If you can then yeah, LAFC is going to have the upper hand. They're at home. They've got that attack that was really clicking last weekend. I've or last week. I think they can do it again this week. 
Um, but it does come down is defensively, can you neutralize Driussi? And in doing so, you know, most of their attacks stem from him, stem from the middle of the field. They can go wide then to their wingers and then get crosses in and get service in and make it really dangerous. But if you can cut off that middle of the field, as difficult as it is versus probably the MVP, that's when the game becomes a lot easier for LAFC. I think attacking-wise um, for the home side, it is very much press high, win the ball in the midfield, get it wide to your wingers, or if you can you know, drive through from Vela cutting in or Arango dropping deep, you allow those runs to flourish. That really worked versus the Galaxy. It can work, again, versus Austin. I think that's really going to be the matchup for them that, that they want to exploit, you know, kind of driving at the Austin defense and then making those runs that, you know, Araujo is a national team center back or national team right back for Mexico. And even he is susceptible to those kind of runs just because it's really hard to stop, especially when you have a good player like uh, Belonga in there making it. Um, if he can keep up his form, that'll be key. I think really for LAFC, it is do what you know how to do and you know, keep the intensity high. Because we've seen at times, like you mentioned last game, it was really sloppy, really sloppy um, against Austin. And if you can keep those passes under control and make the game easy for yourself, attacking-wise, they're going to find some success. Uh, and that's going to be crucial. Uh, if anyone has more on this game, we can go into it, but I think we kind of delivered our full thoughts. And we can slide right into the second game. It's going to be, again, both of these games are probably going to start a little bit later than the schedule time, but technically scheduled for 8 p.m. on the east. I think the actual time is going to be like 8.20 or whatever. Uh, the Union hosting NYCFC, a rematch of the conference final of 2021 in the 2022 Eastern Conference Final. And Union are going to be out for revenge. Half the team was out because of COVID last year. It was a mess. The Union still had a lead in that game before they quickly squandered it away. And NYCFC won late. I believe the goal was in the 88th minute or so of that one. They're going to be looking uh, to write a different script this time around with a team that's even better than last year. Um, Matt, I'll start with you this time. The Union and NYCFC in very contrasting styles, very different teams. But how do you see this one going? It's kind of a, a weird throwback to some of the uh, NYCFC or some of the Hudson River uh, Derby matches for sake of Philly kind of play that Red Bull light. Um, I think that this match is going to be really interesting. And the, the matchups are what I'm really expecting to see happen is uh, I think you're going to see Philadelphia cross a little bit more than they would have previously uh, because Montreal find, found quite a bit of, of happiness, specifically from that right-hand side, uh, serving balls in. If Philadelphia can do that well, that's going to be a big part. Um, but the, the biggest thing that's really going to set the tone is Philadelphia need to be very, very smart in where they are on the field. They cannot get pulled out of position because that is a surefire way for the second that Maxi gets on the ball, he's going to find the right pass to put an, a runner into open space. They need to be super, super mature and not get too far out of their spots. That's going to be really important. Yep. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier, and I was thinking, and I think now when you mentioned it again, the one team, if there's one team in the league that I trust to be positionally disciplined, 
is the Philadelphia Union, right? 100%. The four four two diamond, you know, like the outside backs that go up and back, the center backs. You know, we know that this team is tactically driven, can operate in that tight formation, can control the middle of the pitch and defensively. But I think this will be the test. This is the best team in the league in counterattacks. They are the most dangerous team that I've seen going forward on you know quickly on attacks that can hurt you know the union. I think something that's positive for Philadelphia is that the spaces that would be able to be exploited on quick attacks are those outside backs. And the goal, the, it's the simplest, you know, one of the simplest phrases in soccer, but the goal's in the middle of the field. You can't score if you're just, you know, operating in the channels. And I think that is something that, you know, you mentioned some of time, sometimes, you know, Montreal center backs would try and drive up the pitch with the ball. That is really not something that the union do that much with their center backs. Their center backs generally stay back, as does Jose Martinez. And also, you know, with Kai Wagner flying up the left, that, you know, generally it's Leon Flock or sometimes uh, McGlynn on that left center mid. They don't even go up that far. So the union should be in good position to probably drop four or five behind the ball every time that NYCFC breaks, but that's going to need to happen or else, you know, the pigeons could hurt you. But Andres, I'm interested in, you know, that was kind of the NYCFC attacking the union, you know, side of it. What do you have when the union are going to be looking to attack NYCFC? So I think a lot of this is going to be determined by the health of a couple guys on NYC. Um, This whole improvement in their run of form has come since they've gone to this back three or back five. And since they've had their big three center backs that they rely on, Collins, Cheneau, and Thiago Martins, uh, all three of them playing in that back three. Before that, they were running in the back three, but rotating out, rotating Tavon Gray in there, rotating Latinovic in there, um, or they were playing in the back four, and that's when the results were going you know, awfully uh, for a while there. Um, if you guys recall, they were... the Worst team in the league on points for about a 10-match span. So if Cheneau is healthy and they can run out that back three, it makes a huge difference tactically to how they approach the game. If Cheneau can't go, which I'm not sure what his status is right now, then they have to make a decision whether they want to stick with the system that's working but rotate in somebody who's not necessarily a natural center back or if they want to go back to that four-back system. I think that's going to be a huge call for Nick Cushing to make a to make a decision on. Then you've got to think about Maxi Morales came out, you know, at halftime. What's his health status? Uh, he's playing more as an eight, but still his his creative presence is huge. If he can't go, you bring Keenan Parks into the lineup, uh, who's as a very good central midfielder. I'd assume he'd be the next step in, or or would you go with a Justin Hack? Um, it's the health of those two guys, especially, I think is going to go a long way in determining how this game kind of plays out and whether you can, you know, if you have those three center backs, you can deal with Carranza and Ura, uh, in a different way than if you're playing with a back four, where you're going to have to have your fullbacks uh, a little bit further back. And it just changes the dynamic entirely of how it's played on that side of the field. So we'll see where the lineups come out. I think that's going to be very telling. Yeah. That, that like three back you know, with those three center backs, it's just impossible to break down. Like, how do you break that down with those guys all being as good as, you know, Tiago Martins is 
you know, at the level of both those center backs. And already that center back pairing was one of the best in the league. So you just basically throw more defensive stability in there. If all three of those guys are healthy and Sean Johnson is coming off, you know, an amazing game, that's, that's an inform defense that will be impossible or not impossible, but be very hard to break down through the teeth of that, um, the center of the field. Now, can they, can you even still get crosses in and try and make crash and runs and can it be more difficult that way from the wings? Of course, right? The Union are very good at that. Kai Wagner is probably the he's the best left back in the league. Maybe one of the best attacking fullbacks in the league because of the balls he's able to serve in. Baizo can get up on the right as well. We know that, you know, whether it be Bedoya or sometimes McGlynn plays on that side, like getting in the channels and like getting those balls in and making those kind of runs to the end line. Um, can that happen? Of course it can. But it becomes a lot easier if NYCFC doesn't have one of their stud center backs in there. Makes it a lot easier. Um, and yeah, that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the attacking kind of thrust for the Union is can they start to get numbers in and around the 18? If you know that amazing you know center trio is playing, maybe it won't be through them, but can it be kind of playing around them and trying to get goals? Andres, unless you have anything more, or Matt, unless you have anything more in this game, finally predictions it's prediction time we will start with the western conference semifinal and andres i will start with you predictions on this game given all that we've talked about yeah so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with home home teams here uh so i'm going with lafc i'm going i think they're with with that front three settled in um and that midfield i feel a lot more comfortable if edward atuesta was playing uh and helping lock down Juicy in this in this prediction, but I'm gonna go two one LAFC. Okay, Matt. I think I'm at the same spot. I think Juicy gets a goal, but I think that uh, they get caught out. And again, LAFC is just brutal on the counter. I think that LAFC takes it two one. I honestly, this is unbelievable, right? This is maybe on me for going last. But literally before anyone was going, I thought, you know, maybe like 2-1 LAFC. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's a good score. Yeah, I just completely agree with everything you guys said. I think 2-1 LAFC, because I think LAFC can score. We know that they can score. And we know that, you know, they've conceded recently and started to concede in a little larger number. I think Austin is plenty good enough to get a goal somewhere. Will it be kind of a late equalizer, or, or not an equalizer, but like a late kind of, you know, scrappy goal to maybe try and get them back in the game? Will it be opening? I don't know where it'll come from, but I think 2-1 sounds about right. Could be 3-1, but I don't think it's going to be that, you know, crazy of a difference. And I think, obviously, um, Drius is pretty good as well, but 2-1 LAFC is what I have. So... Uh, we will send it to the East now, Philadelphia and NYCFC. Matt, I'll start with you. What do you got? I, uh, Joey, cover your ears. I am really concerned that I think a lot of uh, New York's, uh, I think New York's going to find some pretty good joy in behind Wagner. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to end 2-1 NYCFC. Uh-huh. Okay, Andres, what you got? Yeah, so I, I'm seeing this one as maybe not being the greatest of soccers. Um, I think Philadelphia defensively and with Andre Blake uh, will do well to, to frustrate NYC. Um, it'll be kind of one of those games where a mistake uh, one way or the other will decide it. And I think ultimately 
being at home, having the momentum or not the momentum, the motivation of the revenge from what happened last year. I see Philadelphia eking out with either a late or an extra time goal, one nothing over NYC. Okay. I hate making predictions for my team, but I also can't bet against my team. And honestly, the the thought I had in my mind was maybe something like one no Philadelphia. The worse soccer, the better, honestly, for my team on Sunday, because you want to frustrate kind of that ticky-tack of beautiful soccer of NYCFC. And I think if they play if Philadelphia plays their best game, a game that they know how to play, they can beat NYCFC. They have the season. It's going to be the best game that NYCFC is going to give Philly all season. But I think in the end, I trust my boys to do what it takes. And I think 1-0, something like that, a scrappy goal, maybe it won't be flocked this time, but something like that might just be enough to push the Union over the top. But that's all we got on this pod. It's it, This is kind of the uh, this, this is the soccer that we live for uh, in MLS. We, we got down to the best four teams, and after Sunday... It will just be one big game uh, to talk about. It's kind of crazy that we got all the games or all the pods that we spent, you know, talking about like ten games and stuff like that. Those pods are behind us, and now we have three games for the rest of the season. Uh, and I, it's been a lot of fun covering with, yeah, covering them with you guys um, uh, on this pod. As we got, you know, just the, the the four best teams in the league. I think it's pretty fair to say that these are the four best teams in the league uh, uh, to get. Uh, in the conference finals, and so we will see on Sunday. It's It's been so much fun all season, and now we are in the money of it all. So, until next week, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we will see you then.